Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The, well, I'm a steamroller, babe. I'm bound to roll all over you. Addition, as the Bengals extend their current winning streak to five games and finally beat the team that's given them fits over the last five years, the Cleveland Browns. Coming up, you'll hear radio replays, one-on-one locker room interviews, and analysis from my broadcast partner, Dave Lapple. Then, in this week's Fun Fag segment, you'll get to know a linebacker with a frequently mispronounced last name. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Kettering Health, the official health care provider of the Bengals. With more than 120 care facilities and 1,500 care providers, Kettering Health is committed to guiding you to your best health. Visit KetteringHealth.org to learn more. Now, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since Mark Duffner's Locker Room Cry. For much of this year, NFL experts have warned us that the second half of the season was going to be tough for the Bengals because of their difficult schedule. So, a few weeks ago, at a team meeting the night before a road game at Tennessee, Zach Taylor told his players that it was their opponents that should be worried because they have to play Cincinnati. After the Bengals beat the Titans, that came up in the locker room celebration. Hey, what, what did we say last night about their schedule? They gotta play us! The guy with the high-pitched voice who yelled, They've got to play us! was 69-year-old assistant coach Mark Duffner, who's in his 48th year in coaching. So last week, after the Bengals beat the Chiefs, Zach Taylor requested a repeat performance by the coach, universally known as Duff. That was a heavyweight battle right there, okay? And you guys went toe-to-toe, came out on top, it took everybody in this locker room. What do we say, Duff? They gotta play us! It has become the slogan for this year's team, and it was the first thing brought up in the locker room after Sunday's win over Cleveland. Duff, lead us off here. They gotta play us! Duffner began his coaching career as a graduate assistant at Ohio State under Woody Hayes. On Thursday, I talked to him about becoming a social media sensation. Uh, All the credit goes to the head coach, Zach Taylor. Zach had that as a theme uh, the night before we played Tennessee. And uh, so, uh, you know, of course, after we won that ball game, everybody was excited in the locker room, and we, we you know, we just carried that theme on a little bit. So it's uh, the, the, the originator and the, the inventor, if you will, is Zach Taylor. I just happened to be a, uh, you know, a, a small piece of it. The first time it sounded like you just kind of blurted it out naturally. The second time it was upon request. Yeah, it, it, that's exactly right. He, he did... You know, I, he just said Duff, and I kind of thought that was a cue maybe, and so I fired it out again. But, uh, no, he's, uh, yeah, I blurted it out just to kind of keep, uh, well, everybody was, you know, excited, and so I was trying to add to the excitement. The players seem to love it. Are you aware? I'm not aware of that, but that's, uh, if they do, then that's awesome. We appreciate that. Do you think that this theme is appropriate for kind of what this team has gone through in terms of everybody's worried about how hard the schedule is going to be? Uh, and forgetting that this team was minutes away from winning a Super Bowl. Yeah, I think, well, I think this. I think, you know, the, the focus for sure is that we're playing, you know, one game at a time, and you've got to be ready for that. But this is a confident team. This is a team that cares a lot about itself, about each other, and about, it, about the team. And so that they're all, 
uh, you know, I think dialed into that, and they're anxious to prove that uh, we are a good football team, and we're trying to get better each and every week. Do you want to give me one, not at the top of your lungs, but at uh, regular volume? They've got to play us. Now, let's get to the highlights from Sunday's 13-point win in the Battle of Ohio. First and 10 at the 15 of Cleveland. 9.50 left in the second quarter. Burrow extends the hands, catches a high snap from the pocket, throws for the end zone. Chase has it. Touchdown! Bengals as Chase does the gritty on the back line of the end zone. And the Bengals score first. Well, that was a dart between two defensive backs. Joe Burrow just threw a seam right between Denzel Ward and the safety, John Johnson. First and goal at the six. Shotgun snap. Burrow hands it to Pirine. Samaje breaks the tackle and runs into the end zone. What a run by Samaje Pirine. He was completely stacked up at the line of scrimmage, somehow escaped like he got out of a straight jacket and ran it into the end zone what? for the Bengals' touchdown. The reason why is guys stayed on their blocks. Nobody could grab them. The offensive lineman sustained contact, and then Samaje Pirine is not going to stop the engine. First and 10 at the Cleveland 45-yard line. Burrow catches a high snap. Now it's a flea flicker. Got going to throw it deep. Got him. He's got a man open. Woo! Over-the-shoulder catch. Trenton Irwin at the six. Touchdown, Bengals, the flea flicker executed to perfection as Burrow gave it to Mixon. He flipped it back to Joe, and Joey Franchise launched it perfectly down the middle of the field for the touchdown strike to Trenton Irwin. Watson fakes to Chubb, screen pass caught by Njoku. He's at the 10, the 5, dives for the pylon, extends the ball in his right hand, and smacks the pylon for a TD. Burrows under center, Irwin goes in jet motion. They pitch in the opposite direction. Mixon running to the 30. Go Joe! Go Joe! Down the sideline, 50. The Browns, 40. And he gets toppled around the Cleveland 35 by safety John Johnson. A 40-yard run for Joe Mixon. Watson fakes, looking to throw. Fires downfield. Intercepted. It's picked off by Jesse Banks. And he goes out of bounds at the 42-yard line. He will run down to the opposite end zone for the pose with his defensive teammates. It is fourth and four. This could be their last chance, down by 13. Nick Chubb checks back in at running back. Watson catches the shotgun snap. Pump fakes, throws. Incomplete. (laughs) And that should be Coffin Nails. Bam, bam, bam. Six fourth down opportunities. The Bengals stopped on three. Each team has a takeaway, but those are equivalent to turnovers. They have three fourth down stops which is a big reason they're up two scores. The 23-10 win means that Joe Burrow can cross another thing off of his checklist. Win the AFC North? Check. Go to the Super Bowl? Check. And finally beat the Cleveland Browns? Check. <laughs> well, well, we're still 1-4 against them, so we, we still got some work to do, but today was a, a good start. The win ended a five-game losing streak against Cleveland, and it came despite the absence of three key offensive weapons. Hayden Hurst was ruled out early in the week with a calf injury, and T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd were sidelined early on Sunday. 
in T's case with a sore hamstring, in Boyd's case with a dislocated finger. Here's Zach Taylor. You know, we, we really lost T in warm-ups. Uh, we lost TB on the second play of the game offensively. And, and guys just stepped up, knew what to do. There had to be a lot of modifications, but, but we settled in and found, the, found a way to move the ball, and that's really because our defense allowed us to. You know, they gave us the time by limiting the points off the board um, to let our offense find a way, you know, to, to take that lead there. So really just good team effort of, of finding a way to win in December in a divisional game. Even though Higgins and Boyd were out, the Browns couldn't cover Jamar Chase. Joe Burrow only completed 18 passes, and Chase caught more than half of them. He finished with 10 catches for 119 yards and did it by lining up all over the place. you got to have a smart player, first of all, because if he, he's able to handle, uh, he really played all three positions, really. Um, X, F, and Z. Maybe he wasn't always called that, but that's where we put him. He's got all sorts of motions. He's got a lot of things he's going to remember which side he's on to remember what part of the concept he's involved in. Um, but that allows us to just have so much freedom to move him around and find ways to get him the ball uh, because because of his, his understanding of what we're trying to accomplish and, and his communication with Joe. More from Zach Taylor in a bit. The Bengals Booth Podcast is brought to you by Bengals Picks and Ultimate Bengals. They're free to play with tickets and signed merchandise up for grabs. Find both inside the Bengals app. And by Paycor. More than 29,000 customers trust Paycor to help them recruit, pay, engage, and retain employees. Learn more at Paycor.com. With an injury-ravaged receiving core, the Bengals leaned heavily on the running game and finished with 136 yards on the ground. After missing two games due to a concussion, Joe Mixon led the way, and he talked to Dave Lapham after the game. Joe, 14 carries, 96 yards rushing on the day. One more carry to get that century mark, man. I mean, that was a hell of a performance. Yeah, man, um, just really locking in and dialing in to the game plan. Um, Pilot was, you know, dialing up the runs and Zach and them guys on the perimeter, tight ends, and even the linemen running out there, man. Um, they did a hell of a job blocking the day, and uh, me and P. Ryan was fortunate enough to make plays behind them, so... You know, me and him was breaking tackles, and that second, uh, you know, second contact, you know, was leading us to getting all them yards. So we just got to keep on doing that. Joe, I thought, okay, which tandem is going to going to have the better day, Chubb and Hunt, and they had 40 yards on a combined 18 carries, <laughs> a little over two yards a carry, and you and P. Ryan had a combined 118 on 18 carries. Case closed. You know, me and P. Ryan, they got a great tandem over there, but. Me and P. Ryan, we've been doing this for eight years now, bro. So uh, we know what we bring to the table, and we know we could be a lethal one-two punch, of course. So we're just going to keep on coming coming to work, you know, getting better, keep on pushing each other to be the best uh, to be the best uh, player that we know we could be. And we're just going to keep on trying to get better, man, keep on stacking these wins, because that's all that matters. And, um, you know, may the best come. So without Hurst. Without Boyd, without Higgins, did you know that the running game even had to take on a bigger burden of responsibility? A little bit. Um, you know, we know the other guys, receivers and tight ends, can fill in as well. Though yep. we got That's what. That's one thing about our deep, our offense. Really, we got a lot of depth, and you know, fortunate, fortunately enough, man, we got guys that could just fill in and come in and actually contribute. And, you know, that's one thing we've been fortunate enough, and we just got to keep on having people step up. We don't know what it happened. You know what I'm saying? So we just got to keep on having them guys come in ready and stepping up, and everybody been able to do that. 
Joe, five in a row, seven out of eight. This football team's playing their best football at the most opportune time again. Yeah, yeah, most definitely, man. I mean, we started that streak, and we got to keep on building. I mean, it's a long season, and we know we know what the task at hand is. We just got to keep on getting better, keep on building, keep on showing up to work, optimistic on what you know what the task is at hand, man, and uh, just keep keep on dialing into the game plan and keep on moving forward, keep on stacking the wins. Keep going one and all. That's what it's all about. About for sure, definitely. Appreciate you. Yes, sir, a lot. Defensively, the Bengals held Nick Chubb to 34 yards two weeks after they held Derrick Henry to 38. Teams simply can't run against the Bengals when a healthy DJ Reader is on the field. Man, we had a good job on defense. Uh, we gave up that big run early, and guys kind of looked in the mirror, checked themselves, knew what we needed to do, and settled down. And That's just what team defense is, man. We knew they were going to run the ball or at least try, and they weren't going to stop until we got some points on offense, so we had to really go in there and really stop it. So, um, you know, the guys, they bought in, man. Just couldn't be so proud of the guys and the group of guys I work with every day. Just happy to be a part of this group. Logan Wilson had 17 tackles in the game. I think 14 solos. What did you think of his performance? Oh, man, he was out there playing good ball. Just running around, flying around. It was a great game. I, you know, I trusted him and Jermaine so much back there behind me. I know if I can clean up some pitches for them, they're going to go in there like he seeking missiles made the tackle. So they did a great job with it. And, man, 17, you're out there moving. That's a lot of tackles. When you've played this year, opponents are averaging about 3.6 yards a carry, I believe. In the games that you've missed, it's like a one-yard difference. Obviously, your impact in defending the run is huge for this team. Well, that's what they brought me here for. And, you know, I take pride in it. And the guys around me take pride in it. So that's what I'm here for, man. I enjoy it. I enjoy this type of game. So, no matter what kind of run game it is, zone, gap. If you can get out of the ball, run, stretch, whatever it is, I'm into it. You know, I just love those type of plays. You know, do whatever I can do to help the team. Game balls went to Reader and fellow defensive tackle B.J. Hill for stuffing the run, Logan Wilson for his 17 tackles, Jesse Bates for his interception, and rookie Cam Taylor-Britt, who came up with some key pass breakups in the fourth quarter. Cam made his first NFL start in that loss to Cleveland on Halloween night. You described earlier in the week how facing Amari Cooper the first time around is a bit of an eye-opener oh, yeah. in the NFL. Second time around, it obviously went considerably better. Yes, sir. Now, like I said, man, uh, that first time, you know, I was getting my feet wet. They had Cam early. Uh, I've played, you know, numerous of games now. and just seeing a lot. Uh, it's a copycat league, so you're going to see a lot of the same stuff. And I knew, you know, what they got me on the first game, so just wanted to hone in on that and make sure, you know, while I'm pressing, I just try to get hands on. Uh, you no, know, just play top down, really. So in the zones, they were catching little hitches and curls and stuff. You know, I just wanted to play top down, no deep shots, man. On that fourth down fade that kind of clinched it, did you figure, I'm the rookie, I'm lined up against Cooper, it's coming my way? Look at the time on the clock. <laughs> Look to the outside, you see a Mark Cooper, a savvy vet versus a rookie corner. And who wouldn't come to me? So I, I wanted it, you know, I, I wanted it. I wanted to get the pick, you know, <laughs> silly, really. But, uh, you know, I got the PBU and, then, you know, uh, he just turned into a defender at that point. I just, you know, trying to help, kind of help my arm. I tried to catch it, but yeah, that's how I went. Are you guys aware that T and uh, the T and Tyler weren't playing? Oh, yes, sir. We, we found out early, man. So we knew it was on us to, you know, win this game. And it was a defensive game. We know that for sure. So we had to be the better defense. You tackled Chubb in space a couple of times. The team held him to 34 rushing yards in the game. How'd you do it? 
got to put a hat on him. <laughs> He's not going to go down if you don't. And we had the game tackle and, you know, just tackle our way, man. Heavy, hard. With that running back, you have to finish, man. And rap and roll, you got to bring a lot of people to the party to get him down. DJ Reader's presence in the middle. It seems like anytime he's on the field, the opponent is not going to run the ball. Most definitely. You can't stop him. I don't see anybody stopping him, man. I'm, I'm so glad that we got him back. You just look at our D-line, man. They're, they're very physical and fast, you know, especially on our outsides. But in that middle, I don't see anybody getting through those gaps, man. G DJ just moves them around and, you know, just makes plays, man. We can't ask anything else for him, man. Is there something to beating a team that had beaten you a couple of times in the last couple of years? I know you weren't here, yeah. but had beaten you earlier in the season. Is there a lifting factor to that when you guys do eventually beat that team? Oh, yeah, most definitely was. And then how I look at it, you know, from my, my perspective, uh, I wasn't here the years before, but I was here when we lost, you know, on Halloween. And it feels great to me to get this win, man. That was my first start. You know, I, I finally, you know, got to beat these guys, you know, and I plan to do that, you know, while I'm here this whole time. You know, once we play our ball, we all don't feel we can be stopped. You mentioned that was your first start. How much different do you feel from then to now? A lot different. <laughs> you can see it in my game. I look just very comfortable out there. Not, you know, real jittery, man. Uh, playing loose, man, having fun with the guys. Could you get the sense from the guys who have been for three and four years how nice it felt to beat a team that's given them so much trouble. Yes, you can see it in their eyes, man. You know, just the glisten when they seen the clock going down. Uh, it's been a minute, uh, I see, and I'm just glad I'm here to be a part of it and to help out. Congrats on the win. Thank you. That's Cam Taylor-Britt. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Alta Fiber, future-proof fiber internet capable of delivering multi-gigabit speeds designed to take your home, business, and community to a new level. Elevate your connection with Alta Fiber. Zach Taylor's Bengals are 9-4 and four and tied for first in the AFC North. He spent a few minutes with Lap after the game. It was easy to be flustered in pregame and early in the game, losing two starting receivers. Uh, but you get this sense of calm because you know you got a great coaching staff that's going to get those players right, and we have really smart players, and that's why they're here on the roster. And they're able to adjust and adapt, and uh, you know they, they made the most of their opportunities. Hurst was down, obviously, before the game started, but... Um, T. Higgins had a hamstring that was bothering him during the week, and obviously it flared up very early in that football game. And Tyler Boyd, it looked like it was a finger injury. Is there any further information you can give us on Tyler's injury? I was told he dislocated his finger, and we'll find out more information. Yeah, so sometimes with dislocations, there can be breaks and all that kind of stuff. you got to make sure about, about all that. But you're down all those weapons. What, what were you thinking? I mean, when you guys were talking about how to proceed, you know, when you're – communicate with all your coaches on the sideline offensively what were those conversations like problem solving you know and it is you know in the past game starting with with brian pitch and troy walters uh making sure we had the right pieces in place james casey had dealt with that all week with dealing with two tight ends justin hill's done a great job managing three four running backs at a time you know and obviously frank and Derek frazier getting those guys up front going so um, again we just got a, such a great coaching staff that puts these guys in the right spot that brings a sense of calm for me to be able to call the plays knowing that guys are going to know what to do. So your, your defense has to step up in that situation, and they did, obviously. Joe Mixon rushed for 96 yards on, on 14 carries during the course of the football game. The exact same number of carries for Chubb, 14 carries, 34 yards. You really controlled Chubb and Hunt. Hunt had six yards on four carries. So 18 carries, 40 yards out of those running backs. It's a hell of a job by your defense. Yeah, that's a, that's a recipe for success right there. And, again, it allowed us to get our feet underneath us on offense because the defense was keeping points off the board, um, making them go the length of the field, not giving up explosive plays. And that, that was a key reason why we won the game today. 
you were very persistent staying with that running game. Joe busted one for 40 um, that, that looked like it, it, it might have a chance to chance to go. How did your offensive line handle things up front? Did they have another pretty good day overall? I, I, first glance, they did a nice job. Again, they're, they're putting more hats in there than sometimes you can account for. And um, We knew losing two receivers, we were just going to have to live with that and find ways to to find the explosives on flea flickers and such and, and also grind out some runs, knowing that if you can just stick with it and have the lead, that at some point something's going to break, and that's what happened with the Joe Mixon run. So when did you start thinking about the flea flicker? Give me, give, take me through the evolution of the flea flicker and the final decision to call that bad boy. Well, I mean, that, that's something that's that's been up for uh, several games this year and just felt right the right moment to call it. We needed to be on the correct hash, and so it just – Everything played into our hand. Uh, they had some substitutions with their defensive ends that were out, which is always helpful on a long play like that. And it just so happened we got the right coverage and hit it. Man, then, then your defense, your defensive line, DJ Reader is a full-grown man. And DJ played so well. Logan Wilson had a gazillion tackles. I mean, it, it was unbelievable to watch what was going on up front. It was awesome, you know, and, and credit to DJ Reader. He shows up every day coming to work, whether he's banged up, feeling great, same guy every day, leading the charge there. That's why he's voted to captain, and uh, he helps those around him play really well too. Nine and four, and, you know, I, I don't want to go back, but, I mean, nine more points, Coach. He's 13 and one, man. Oh, no, 12 and one. You're 12 and one because yeah, you're nine and four. We, we learned from our losses, yeah. and I don't know that we'd be the same team had we not lost some of those early games. And of course, you'd, you'd love them, so you could have already won the, all the things that come with that. But sometimes it's it's a necessary evil. We try to win every game. I don't want to lose, uh, but we certainly learned a lot from those early season losses that have helped us be the team that we are today. And finally, this game up in uh, when you played them up in Cleveland, it was a you know cold water in the face. It was kind of it was it seemed to be a wake up call, and everybody responded the way. I'm sure you'd hoped you've won five in a row since. Five in a row, seven out of eight. Uh, what is it, nine out of 11 now? I mean, it's crazy. You're on a nice run. It's a confident team that's playing with the right edge and preparing with the right edge. And um, I believe that we won't lose that. Our guys are focused on, on how to do things the right way and uh, be ready to go on the road next week against Tampa. Bengals remain tied for first with Baltimore as the Ravens managed to win in Pittsburgh 16-14 despite having their third-string quarterback on the field for most of the second half. Lamar Jackson missed the game with a knee injury, and Tyler Huntley suffered a concussion, meaning the Ravens had to turn to undrafted rookie Anthony Brown. It will be interesting to see who plays quarterback for Baltimore next week at Cleveland. Now, time for the Radio Guys Recap. Bengals are off the schneid. Their five-game losing streak head-to-head -head against the Cleveland Browns is over in convincing fashion, 23-10. Where should we begin? How about the running game? Cincinnati, 136 yards on the ground. Cleveland, 71. I wonder how many times the Browns have essentially been doubled up in the running game in the uh, Kevin Stefanski era. I mean, you look at the first game. Cleveland ran the ball 44 times. The Bengals ran it 10. <laughs> I mean, in this football game, the exact same number of carries, Chubb, 14 carries, 34 yards. He had a 13-yard a rush and a 7-yard rush. So on two of his carries, he had 20 of the yards. The other 12 carries, 14 yards. What? That's unbelievable. DJ Reader, full-grown man. Unbelievable what he does. Makes plays himself. I mean, he'll make tackles. But to keep people off of uh, his teammates and linebackers like he does, I mean, Logan Wilson – had a, had a day at halftime. He ends up with 14 unassisted tackles, 17 total tackles on the day. 
amazing. That's just that's unbelievable. And it's all about DJ Reader, two power. I mean, not having those guys in that first game proved to be a a, a big big difference, obviously. And uh, I thought I thought that was a huge difference in the football game. And I mean, Deshaun Watson. He, it, it, he does add a little quarterback run package that's going to be, I think, uh, a very tough thing to defend, uh, stu- you know, complementing and supplementing Chubb. But the Bengals had the answers today, and um, it was just a, an unbelievable defensive performance because when you look at all the start- or all the uh, skill guys going down, Dan, defensively they knew we have to step up. I mean, our offense is in a little bit of trouble here, and in the early stages it was you know, stuttering, sputtering along, and defense carried the day. T. Higgins dealt with a sore hamstring on Thursday and Friday, wound up playing one snap, I believe. Tyler Boyd got hurt on the second offensive play, so you alluded to it. Two of your best uh, pass catchers, weapons in the offensive game, weren't available. They managed to score three touchdowns against a pretty good defense. No no question. And, uh, you know, I thought that other guys stepped up and, and made plays just like they have, you know, all season long. I mean, uh, the, the flea flicker was called at just the most opportune time that it could have been called. I mean, Trent Irwin has a 45-yard reception where he's open by 10 yards, and he said that he, didn't, he can't remember being that open at any level of football. Uh, just a tremendous, tremendous call because they, they were bringing people to stop the run. They were bringing 11 guys, and the safeties were hitting. I mean, there's no question about that. And uh, Trent Irwin said, you know, he, he and uh, Johnson had, had a few collisions there. And he knew when they called it, when he came flying down like he did, all he had to do was bluff that block, and it was off to the races, and uh, that's exactly what took place. Deshaun Watson a lot better in Game 2 than he was in Game 1. He threw for 276 yards, a touchdown, one pick, pass a rating of 79.1. Should the rest of the AFC North be worried about Deshaun Watson eventually? Yeah, I mean, I think his skill set is, you know, kind of jumps off the – you know, the field at you. He is, he's, a, he's a gifted guy, but um, like we were talking about during the game, Lou Anarumo has been masterful at confu- confusing quarterbacks that have played at a pretty high level for the, you know, not just this year, but, I mean, 700 days. He hadn't played a game. They, they played a lot of games in 700 days, and Lou, Anar- Lou Anarumo had them confounded a little bit. So I'm sure Deshaun Watson was like on the pressure packages, the coverages, it was like, whoa. What, what's going on here? What am I looking at? Um, so I do think that Lou Anarumo continues to be a factor, and his players are, are definitely responding to, I mean, they're, they're believing in everything that he's saying. They're buying what he's selling, let's put it that way. And he's selling a lot, and, and they're buying a lot, man. They've got an unlimited budget, the players. They, they are just um, – the, the amount of uh, inventory that they have to draw from, uh, pressures and coverages and everything else, is pretty, pretty staggering. And to have guys and have the confidence not one of them is going to make a mistake is very, very impressive. We said one of the things the Bengals had to do to end this streak of five straight losses to Cleveland, don't beat yourself. Don't have a bunch of giveaways. They only had, you know, one giveaway on a deflected pass that was intercepted. Don't have a bunch of penalties. Well, that was very much in their favor. Nine penalties, 98 yards for Cleveland. Four penalties, 36 yards for Cincinnati. And on the Bengals' first touchdown drive, after they had sputtered coming out of the gate on their first three drives, they were gifted. Four penalties, 58 yards, including a roughing the punter that kept the drive alive, a 33-yard pass interference penalty. That helped the Bengals get the ball rolling. And once they had the lead, you never really had the feeling that they were going to give it up. Yeah, I agree, Dan. I mean, they had total control of the football game, and um, the the self-destruction was was significant. 
not not by turnover, like you said, just one. But how about on fourth down to the Bengals? Uh, Cleveland's three for six on fourth down. So those three stops on fourth down are equivalent to turnovers. It's like, you know, a fumble that you don't – there's no yardage shift or anything, but you lose possession of the football. Three times uh, the Cleveland Browns ended a possession without a kick, without a punt, extra point, or field goal. That's huge. So in my mind, the Bengals were plus three in that football game in terms of, you know, the one takeaway and then the three fourth down stops. The Bengals, uh, they weren't involved in any fourth down action that way. They had the one giveaway. And the other thing was, uh, in the first game, Cleveland went four for five in the red zone. Five trips, four touchdowns. Today, one for three. Major difference. The Bengals went two for three. Got their three times scored twice. And they were one for one in the low red zone. In the goal-to-go situation, Cleveland was 0 for uh, in that goal-to-go situation. That was one of the fourth down stops. So, I mean, that that's impressive. I. I thought that uh, you know this game was going to come down to again who was more physical uh, at the line of scrimmage in particular, and I thought the Bengals won the battle at the line of scrimmage again. I really do. I thought they controlled things up front, um, and it's it's impressive to watch it. And, and it, it, the Bengals, you know, they they did have a little bit of uh, oh boy, I got to navigate this ship back on course when you know some key players go down. Tyler Boyd, I asked Zach the postgame, the extent of the injury, and he said that there was a dislocation, but they, you know, want to make sure there's nothing more than that. And, um, you know, obviously, as a receiver, that's a real problem. So um, we'll wonder how, how much time, if any, he's going to miss. I mean, if they get it put back in place and there's no fracture, um, but if there's some soft tissue damage, you know, what do you do? Do you splint them together? There's There's ways to to go ahead and go out there and play. And he's a tough guy. I think he's probably going to try to play if he possibly can, particularly the way the football team's playing. Five straight wins, seven out of eight, you know, nine out of 11. Uh, they're on a run. There's no question. Do you have a theory for me on what Kevin Stefanski was thinking on the opening drive? They march down the field, eight plays, 51 yards. It's fourth and one at the Bengals' 25. They decide to go for it. They take Deshaun Watson out. They put Jacoby Brissett in. He's under center. I'm thinking, well, maybe they think he's better at the quarterback sneak or something like that. He drops back and throws it into the end zone. Incomplete. His only play of the day. What on God's green earth were they doing? I have no idea. I really don't. I mean, I, I cannot. That one is mind-boggling. I'm thinking, well, maybe he's that much better at the hard count than Watson is. I'm thinking maybe he's going to try to draw him. You know, it, and it's like, all right, well, maybe – the fact that he's substituting the quarterback, oh, there's a special play that might get them amped up even more to jump offside. But, you know, they held their water well. And I'm thinking, you know, why take a guy that quarterback sneak he's better at, uh, quarterback run game he's better at? You know, you go to the perimeter with a two-way go with Chubb and Watson. I mean, I, you know, there's, there's so many other things you can think of that they might try to do on that fourth down play. Um, Maybe even, you know, some sort of a gadget play that they had in their playbook somewhere in the game plan. But to, to just just run a straight drop back and heave it to the corner of the end zone, I was like, wow. I, I don't. That, that one is mind-boggling. I'm going to be very interested to hear what Stefanski has to say on that explanation because that one that one was crazy. I'm thinking first question in the uh, Cleveland postgame news conference. I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> There's no doubt. You know, my first thought was maybe they were going wildcat and they just hadn't repped it with Watson, and of course, obviously they didn't, but that was the first thing that came to mind for me. Yeah, yeah I mean, that, that's another another potential. But then you would think, 
you know, they'd have Hunt and Chubb in there, you know, both of their backs, if you're wildcatting, because now you got the quarterbacks out there. He's a waste. You know, he's just out there doing nothing. And they didn't do that. I mean, it was weird, just the way the he just run, ran the quarterbacks on and off the field, no other substitutions. Like, what the hell? Crazy. All right, so next week it's off to Tampa, probably the last warm weather game until the Bengals go to Arizona for the Super Bowl. There you go. He says, hopefully. But uh, probably, realistically and, and uh, honestly, the one and only time that Joe Burrow and Tom Brady will go head-to-head. Yeah, and there, I think there's so many similarities between those two guys. I really do. I mean, not the way they came into the league, obviously. You know, one came in as a six-round pick. The other one came in as a Heisman Trophy first pick of the draft kind of guy. But but the way they approach the game, um, what the game means to them, their protocol of preparation, it's, uh, you know, it's second to none. And there, I think there are more similarities to than, than differences in um, what they think about the game, how they think about the game, how they play the game. Uh, there's just a lot of things. Obviously, Joe's much more mobile than Tom. Tom is just, he's from Jump Street, pocket quarterback only. We saw again today, you know, Joe Burrow can hurt you with his uh, his feet and legs. There's no doubt. And I thought a big fa- factor in the game today was going to be um, who, when the first play is taken away, h- how do you create and extend on additional plays? Joe Burrow had an eight-yard run. On a scramble, um, he, he kept plays alive, you know, manipulating the pocket. Um, so Tom Brady's not going to do that stuff. Tom Brady is as good as there is ever, though, in getting the ball out of his hand right now. I mean, he's an offensive lineman's best friend. It's like 2.35, you know, and it's out. I mean, you can almost whiff and get beaten, and he's going to have the ball out at those kind of numbers. And Joe's very similar to that. Joe gets the ball out. But if he doesn't like it, you know, he can – you know, go to a second play, create a second play. Tom doesn't do that, but nobody reads the field better than Tom Brady. Joe Burrow's right there, though, and then makes a quick decision based on assimilating that information so rapidly, and it's 99.9% of the time the right decision. It's, it's incredible to watch those two guys just see the field, deliver. It's amazing. The AFC North is 3-0 and against Tom Brady this year. Steelers, Ravens, Browns all beat Tampa Bay. We'll see if the Bengals can make it 4-4. Four for four. Sweep. <laughs> how, about a, how about a divisional sweep? That would be big. Man, Tom Brady, 49ers on the road, and then the Bengals come down to Tampa Bay. Man, and, it, you know, it looked like oh, they're going to be a, you know, a slam-dunk playoff team. Now – it's going to be very interesting, it, depending on what happens in San Francisco here later today. Um, is he playing for a playoff opportunity? I mean, will this be a must-win situation for Tom Brady? That's a tough opponent when you're in a must-win situation. And Joe Burrow reminds me of Tom Brady, too, in the, in the fact that when the game's on the line, fourth quarter, he's, like, otherworldly. Uh, Brady has been that way his whole career. Joe Bar- I mean, Brady's got, what, 44 come from behind victories, I think it is? Ridiculous. Joe Burrow can do that kind of thing. I don't know if he's going to play a 1,000 years like Brady, but, I mean, he, he, he can do the same thing. The great ones play their best at the most important times, the most necessary times to play their best. They realize it and step up and do it, and they do it at a high percentage of the time, and these two are two of the best ever doing it. Tampa Bay's game in San Francisco turned out to be a disaster. 
The Bucks got blown out 35-7 as Tom Brady threw a pair of interceptions. Tampa Bay is 6-7, and, and yet still in first place in the NFC South, one game ahead of Carolina and Atlanta. The Bengals open as a three-point favorite for next Sunday. Finally, time for this week's Fun Facts interview, where we get to know the person under the pads. Time for some Fun Facts with Joe Bocci from Brook Park, Ohio, a little bit south of Cleveland. Your dad, Joe Sr., was a concrete worker and a football coach, and he says that he brainwashed you from an early age. What did you learn from your dad? My dad taught me a lot in my life, him and my mom. My dad, he always pushed toughness, you know, mental toughness as well as physical toughness and kind of everything you do. We're a real blue-collar family, uh, kind of that whole hometown, Brook Park area is like that. And I think that's kind of how I play my game, and that's how I've tried to, you know, my work ethic and how I approach a lot of things. It's just, you know, your mental toughness and just coming with that blue-collar mindset every day. Sounds like he coached you in just about everything, and it also sounds like he wasn't the type of guy that, uh, if you struck out three times, was going to pat you on the back and say, that's okay, son. Yeah, I never really got the pat on the back. That's okay, I'll tell you that. Uh, He was definitely always a little harder on me. He was my coach in basketball, baseball, football, from, I would say, six, seven, eight years old all the way through high school. He was always my coach. Um, And by the time high school was ending, I was probably ready for it to be over with him being my coach, but... uh, you know, I wouldn't change anything about it, for sure. So I read that as a junior in high school, you're playing linebacker and tight end, and there's a game where the starting running back gets hurt in the pregame warm-ups. So they throw you in there at running back. You didn't even really know the plays, right? I can remember it. We, get, we Actually, it was right on the bus. He goes, hey, I don't think our running back can go today. And I said, and I used to play it all the time, and I enjoyed playing running back for sure. And he just goes, all right, we just got to know inside zone right. We got to know power. We got to know counter. I'm like, all right, that'll work. But, uh, yeah, that was definitely a fun game. It was a muddy game, and, yeah, it was a six-touchdown game. It felt good for sure, playing a little running back again. Five touchdown runs, one touchdown yeah. reception, not yep. bad. Yep, I'll take it. I was, uh, yeah, I was kind of all over the place on offense back in high school. I thought I was an offensive guy. I always did. I never, never really wanted to continue to play defense, but the smart decision was to transition to that linebacker and play linebacker. We're visiting with Joe Bocci. So where you grew up near Cleveland is Ohio State country. Yeah. Sounds like you would have loved to have been a Buckeye. It didn't work out that way. How disappointing was that? Uh, it was It was definitely disappointing for sure. Um, I loved everything about Michigan State. Don't get me wrong at all. I, um, but we went down for a junior day. Um, you know, I knew a couple guys down there. It was me, my mom, my dad. And I think we drove two hours down, probably only stayed for about an hour and a half, turned around, drove two hours back. Hmm. Um, you know, once, you know, they kind of had their mind made up, they're going in a different direction. And, you know, I got that message. It was, uh, you know, it was time to move on. And once that happened, uh, you know, that was definitely motivation moving forward for the next four or five years and in, uh, into college. And like I said, I love Michigan State, though. That was a perfect spot for me. Just a hard nose, old school coach Antonio, Ken Manny, how they run everything there when I was there. It was a perfect program for me. You had a great career. You were a two-time captain. Folks around here know and love Mark D'Antonio from his time at the University of Cincinnati. What was the highlight of your Michigan State experience? I know this is kind of cliche, but I think it was just the guys. Like, I I had no complaints about any of my friends, you know, and it made going to the building so much fun every day, and we enjoyed it. And that's kind of what I get with this team a little bit is a lot of the guys are just, you know, we're all friends. Like, we like to – we enjoy being around each other, and that's what really makes football fun. And – you know, at Michigan State, it was every day with me and my roommates were out there. He's starting defensive end. My other one's a safety. The other one's a quarterback, the old line. And, 
you know, it, it was just a, a great experience there. Uh, like I said, I wouldn't change any of it. You didn't get drafted after playing at Michigan State, but a lot of teams were interested in signing you as a college free agent. You started out with the Saints on their practice squad. Then you got picked up by the Eagles, and you made your debut for Philly in December of 2020. What do you remember about taking the field in that first game and knowing that you had made it to the NFL? That was a, that was a weird week for me when they came and uh, when they picked me up that Monday morning they claimed me um, off the practice squad and I get up there it was weird because COVID I wasn't allowed to go into the building at all during Philly so I didn't get to go meet anyone till Sunday when we were playing actually New Orleans hmm. so I didn't go to the building one time first time seeing everyone was actually in the stadium in the locker room on Sunday <laughs> and it was like all right here you go you're on kickoff return and punt return to start and. Uh, it was de- it was definitely something like I said I'm not going to forget that because that was just a wild experience the whole COVID situation anyways in 2020 as a whole but um, yeah that that's not how I pictured it happening but um, you know you'll take it anyway at this point. What was your reaction to getting picked up by Cincinnati the next year? Like I said I'm from Cleveland uh, I was a Browns fan growing up um, that kind of wore off once I got to college you know there's a lot of Detroit games on when I was at Michigan State um, and you know I really just whatever team was going to pick me if I was in the NFL was going to be great and uh, I didn't know what to expect when I came here I just knew this is already my third team in basically a year and a half and you know I got to prove you know that I'm willing to you know I'm a guy that can play in this league and uh, ever since I've been here you know I've enjoyed it more and more every day and a lot of the guys in there just made it a lot easier for me to transition over here for sure. So last year, you moved into the starting lineup during a stretch where Logan Wilson was hurt. And in your second game, you got hurt. You tore your ACL at Denver. It was on the same play where Teddy Bridgewater had to be carted off and immobilized. So kind of the focus was on him. Uh, And obviously, you were in pain as well. I watched the replay. I I couldn't really tell how it happened. It wasn't like your knee collided or anything like that. That was a weird experience for me just because I've never had a true serious like knee injury like that knock on wood but um yeah when that happened I knew something was wrong so I haven't had that feeling before and it was just off a little plant I kind of was baiting him into cutting back and I was hoping he was going to do that as soon as it happened I put my left foot in the ground and I felt it and I put my shoulder on him and it kind of going over top of me but I knew it right away something was wrong I walked off the field I remember walking back into the locker room um you know I, I got up relatively quick so I just was freaking out on the field this goes back to my dad, when I was younger, never be laying on the field. So when I was down, that's all I could think about mm-hmm. was, you got to get off the field now. So I remember going back into the x-ray room, um, and I take a look up at the screen, and Teddy was being carted off. I'm like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. I had no idea he got hurt on the same play. And they're like, no, it's still the same play. I'm like, oh, my God, this was, that was a mess of a play. But, yeah, that's uh, not a great feeling when that happened. What was the toughest part of rehab for you? The mental part of it, for sure, and just being consistent. You know, how many times can you do these same exercises over and over and over again during a week? And uh, you're doing the same type of stuff four or five days a week, and you're really, you got to push it because you got to get your muscles all back, you get everything working again. Um, but like I said, it, it was the mental part of it and pushing through a lot of it um, taught me a lot about myself. All right, let's hit some wild card categories now for Joe Bocci. Who's your all time favorite athlete in any sport and why? I got two. I was a big, Peyton Manning fan growing up. That's when I also thought I was going to play quarterback. Um, but then being from Cleveland, I was always a LeBron fan. Um, and he was always like, you know, as a kid in Cleveland, you're playing basketball, you're being LeBron James out there in the backyard or whatever it is. And he was kind of a guy that I always, you know, enjoyed watching for sure. Were you able to attend Browns, Cavs, Indians games, things like that as a kid? Uh, 
We didn't. I think that time we actually played in Cleveland this year was probably my third time in that mm. stadium ever. Like I've, I, we never went. It was, you know, you, you pay for parking, then you pay for me and my brother and my dad and someone to get a drink and something. You spend a couple hundred bucks there. You know, we were never knew that. We were watching the game from the couch at home uh, on Sundays. But I, I got to a couple Indians games, a couple Cavs games, um, just from knowing people and having some connections there back home. When the Cavs finally won the NBA title, <laughs> what did that mean to you as a Clevelander? I was actually in college. I enrolled early, um, left high school early, so all my buddies were just finishing up high school, and they were all downtown sending me videos and everything that was going on. It was chaos down there. I'm actually glad I wasn't down there and then for the parade and all that. But I remember being at Michigan State and you know, and watching it with my roommates at the time, and I lost my mind when they wanted you know come back from 3-1 like that and for the city of Cleveland. That, that, that was awesome. Do you have any hidden talents? I don't, but I wish if I was talented at anything, I wish I could sing. I, I do it enough where I should be better, but I'm just not. I just don't have a singing voice, I would say. In the shower, though, are you belting it out when there are no witnesses? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm great in the shower, and usually in the truck alone, I'm pretty good at it, too, singing some country songs. But uh, other than that, I, um, you know, maybe on the boat when everyone's singing, I'll be singing a little bit, but that's about it for me. What do you like to spend your money on? <sighs> really nothing. Um we are trying to save up right now, me and my girlfriend. Um, but I'm not a big designer, brand anything. You know, I still got the same pair of shoes that I kind of wear to the village for the past two years. I don't really change my style much. Um, if there's one thing that gets me though, every time I walk in there, every time I walk into Lululemon, for some reason I end up grabbing a couple things and it's a little pricey in there. Do you get annoyed when people mispronounce your last name? It's happened my entire life. You know, bocce, batchy, whatever you, you hear over there. And, um, it's, uh, I'd like to know at this point, I'm hoping people are starting to know my name by now, that it's Joe Bocci. They should. <laughs> I hope so, and especially in college. When I have it wrong in college, I'm like, come on, I'm one of the better players, I think, in the Big Ten. you got to know my name by now. But I, I hope they know it by now. All right, final fun fact. This one's kind of deep. If you could meet anybody in history, athlete, actor, statesman, Whoever that person might be, who would you want to meet? I'd like to think of some historical figure, but then I always go back to, like, I would really like to meet Mark Wahlberg, I think. Hmm. I feel like that'd be an interesting person to meet and sit down with. Um, maybe have dinner, maybe have a drink with him and talk with him. See, I feel better now because when I think about this question for myself, my guy is Steve Martin. I love Steve Martin, and I feel guilty like it should be George Washington. I, know, that's how I, I feel the same way. Like I could, I could definitely do that, but I just, for some reason, it kind of always goes back to that. Or, um, you know, someone else who I think would just be a good time. That's, that's kind of where I'm going with this. I want to, who would be a good time to sit down with and talk? And I feel like he'd be an interesting person. Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> there it is. Joe, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Best of luck the rest of the year. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, presented by Kettering Health, the official health care provider of the Bengals. By Bengals Picks and Ultimate Bengals. They're free to play with tickets and signed merchandise up for grabs. By Paycor, the official HR software provider of the Bengals. And by Alta Fiber, future-proof fiber internet. Elevate your connection with Alta Fiber. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.